brought my handbag because I might want to quick out for a quick snout afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> so Zoe, thank you so much for joining us here today. We it's really a appreciate pleasure. it. It's really good fun. So I wanted to jump in right at the beginning. Both of your parents were actors. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's what inspired you to get involved with the business or was it actually something that put you off? No, of course it, it didn't put me off. Uh, it was the world, uh, well, no, it had nothing to do with them. Uh, it, let me see, let me start again. I think I was a theatrical from a very early age. Uh, we used to have a nanny when I lived. Uh, my parents um, were blacklisted from in, uh, in America uh, during McCarthy, the McCarthy period. And so I was born in New York uh, and we didn't come to this country until I was about three. But I do remember we had a nanny who used to look after me and my big sister, and she took me to Catholic Church, and I loved genuflecting. I thought, I thought that was the greatest thing ever. So that, that's, so that's, I think it started there. Um, I think it was, I don't, what what's in, was intimidating for me is, uh, was because my father in particular was a method actor, and he'd, uh, and that was a time, so, so I was intimidated to actually uh, follow his, their path uh, um, with his particular re reputation, but it was sort of born in me. I, want, I, I really enjoyed, um, I always thought it was a romantic thing, which was stupid. Um, um, and I think what clinched it for me was when my dad went to Stratford uh, before it became uh, the Royal Shakespeare Company and did uh, and played Iago in Othello. Uh, and um, he used to row on the River Avon to rehearsal. And I think it was about the year of the Sputnik. So uh, I don't know. Can you work that out? Anyway, uh, so but it was, uh, we were uh, living in a, he was given digs, as it was called, but it was a big house called Avoncliffe, and it was right on the River Avon, and Dad used to go and row to exercise. Uh, and it was just the most idyllic, idyllic, beautiful time. So I think that was what happened to me, was the romance of it all and the smell of when you went backstage of what they called size, which was how they painted the, the flats, the, the scenery, with this glue that would hold it together. And that, that smell and the smell of makeup, um, Leichner, <laughs> Leichner makeup, and I think all that, and the rowing to, dad rowing to work and meeting all these sort of extraordinary, glamorous, I thought, people, and that was it. That was it for me, and uh, I think the romantic side of it, and the costumes and the, all that. Um, it was exciting, and then, I, and then I discovered, oh, no, that's not right. Uh, I didn't think I had fitted anywhere when I was at school, and so I think Shakespeare language. Um, costume, all that was more interesting to me, the creative side of it all. Uh, and that I just felt that this is the only thing I wanted to do, sadly. Uh, my parents really were against it, tried desperately to put me off it. 
Why do you think that was? Why did because I'm a girl, and, <laughs> and girl, women have a much... It's all about rejection, this job. Mm. Uh, and you have to be built of steel, I think, mm. to be able to take that. And they just knew that I wasn't able to take that. <laughs> and I think they were trying to protect me. Uh, but it was too late. I think I'd been, I'd been hooked. You talked a lot about the influence the theatre had on you there. Mm. You've previously said that you were drawn more to the theatre in your younger years because you thought it was more, you perceived it to be more serious maybe mm -hmm. than being on TV. And obviously in later life, you did that a lot. What do you think changed and do you think that's changed in the industry or just in the way that you perceive theatre versus television? Well, it's, um, it's a no-brainer really. I mean, the, the thing is that when I was saying this to you earlier. When, when I left drama school, a three-year course at drama school, the first thing you have to do, you have to join equity. Um, and, but you had to have a provisional equity card. But that meant that you have to do, do 40 weeks in repertory theatre. Uh, and then once you completed those 40 weeks, you then became a full member of equity. So it was a, a norm. I left drama school in 1970. And the first job I got was in Manchester, and then I went to Leeds, and then I went to Edinburgh, and then I went uh, here. I was rep here at the Playhouse, um, and Cambridge, and blah, blah, blah. And then slowly you start working in the... Then I got my... Greek, my I became a full member of Equity. Uh, I, but in those days, television was thought of as slightly beneath one. But then, you know, times have changed. Now you can't get arrested <laughs> unless you've been on television. Uh, um, and also, I'd never done a sitcom before. I always thought that sitcom meant sitting down comedy <laughs> because everybody sat down, you know, come in and sit down. Uh, but, you know, it, so it's the world has progressed. Uh, and of course, the theatre, I love working in the theatre, it's an organic thing. It's, uh, it's like, well, you get to rehearse, you get to be with people, discover things, learn things, learn the lines, and, and also find new things. When you're working on film, you get very little time. It's all hurry up and wait. Mm. Um, and then television you, now is becoming so fast and so quick, so you shake your, somebody's hand and say, hello, how did you, uh, now rate me. Uh, this, it's the, you, you, you don't have time mm. to connect and you don't have that process. But I was brought up, I, you know, when I left drama school, that was what we did. We rehearsed, we discussed, we um, experimented. And, and now you don't have much time to do that. Uh, that's the difference. But, you know, it, and also it's a different... <laughs> To get up in the morning at four o'clock and have makeup put on you, and it's just the most boring thing in the world. So I, I can't, I'm not good in the morning, so it's, uh, but you have to get used to the rhythm, and the rhythm, and that's what the rhythm is. It's early start, late start, late finish, and then start again. Mm. It's just, um, I like to do all of it. And one of your most iconic roles in television was Susan Harper in My Family. Yes. Why did you choose to be involved in that project? And generally, when you're thinking about whether you're going to be in something, what are the key factors in making that choice? It's it always the writing. The script. Always the writing. I, 
you can't do it without a, a good basis, a good script, a good... Um, and it was the first series of my family was written by an American, and that kind of humour appeals to me. I find that the irony, the wit, the cruelty of it. As opposed <laughs> to British humour. British humour for me was uh, what I'd seen on television was sort of Benny Hill, and it's drop your trousers and, you know, that, that sort of thing. This was slightly more intelligent. I can't, no, that's a wrong thing to say. It was... It was. Um, it had more dynamic to it, uh, less crude, uh, uh, and it was all. And also, I was so that kind of thing really appealed to me. And I'd never done that sort of thing before. And it's great to experiment and and fail if you want, you know, if necessary. Also, I'd, I'd known Robert Lindsay on and off for years. We were both. He was at one drama school. I was another, and we used to meet occasionally. Um, and get drunk, and uh, <laughs> and so so that was that was a, a good. It was good, and it, we we never knew from one season to the next whether it was going to be picked up, whether it was going to be successful or what. But then after a while, after about three seasons, um, Fred Barron, who was the creator of it, he resigned. And then the, the team of writers, the idea that it would be like Friends. Now, Friends, what they do is they, they have a script, they rehearse, and then they rehearse in front of the audience. They, they film it in front of the audience. And if it doesn't work, then the writers will come in and write them something else. And that was the premise of the first series, first three series, that Fred would suddenly come on and say, don't do that line, do this and say this and say this. And then you do it in front of the audience, which was great. That was exciting. When he left... Then there started to be, each season, there'd be more people on the writing team. More, finally, it was a football team, really, uh, uh, and there was only one woman writer by the end of it. So, um, yeah. And one of the... Um you were, obviously, my family went on to be incredibly successful. Mm. Can you always tell that from a script? Because another thing that a lot of people here may have seen you in is Harry Potter as mm. Madame Hooch. Mm. Did you know when you initially read the script and when you were initially in the first film how successful it was going to become? Well, I kind of knew. Mm. Um, were you a fan of the books before? Or? Yeah, well, because Gabriel, who was in my family, who played the youngest son, he, would be, he was sitting in the corner reading the book. We couldn't get him onto set <laughs> to, to rehearse. Um, because he desperately wanted to be in it, of course. Uh, and so that, those kind of books were, I mean, I used to read fairy stories when I was at school, lots of, all the red book, the yellow book. The, uh, but that kind of uh, I, fantasy idea was really good. The first book I thought was brilliant because it amalgamated 21st century with, with magic um, and fantasy. And I thought that was really cool. So yeah, I loved her. I thought she was great. Um, and I was very happy to be in it. Also, a lot of my friends were in it, so uh, which was really good. <laughs> do you have any particularly? So do you have any particularly good well, memories from it? With your yes, well, Alan Rickman was in it, and uh, David Bradley was in it, and then Maggie Smith was in it. I'd worked with David, and this, and um, what's the boy's name? Of this? Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Uh, yeah, Daniel Radcliffe. Daniel. Daniel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel, I'd been in um, <laughs> the uh, Daniel. Uh, we done, we did. Sorry, um, David Copperfield for the BBC, and Maggie was in that, and Daniel was in it. That was his first job, 
and uh, so I'd met him before, but he was he was always on <coughs> computers and well, he was always playing. He was an extraordinary boy. So it was a it was great to to be with a family mm. uh, and to create these characters that were. Uh, and I've said this before, but walking onto the set for the first scene that I had, which was at Annick Castle, and all these kids were lined up with their broomsticks on the ground. I thought I died and got to heaven <laughs> because it was exactly how I'd imagine it in the books. Uh, and then that was just a joy. It was great. It was really good fun. And you talked briefly about the sort of dearth of female writers within the industry um, and also of strong female roles. Mm. You play Queen Antida in Antidia? the... Antidia? Antidia, sorry, okay. in the Britannica. Yeah, um, Britannia. Britannia, sorry. Mm. Right. Uh, which is the conquest of, the Roman conquest of Britain in uh, 43, 43 AD. AD. Um, when you first started out, did you think there were as many strong female roles as there are now? And do you think that, because her opening line is, I shit on the souls of your dead. <laughs> so that's quite a strong female <laughs> role in the, in the series. So do you think that that was as common at the beginning, or do you think that it's become more I don't more know, more you know, I've never really uh, thought about it, to mm. be honest. Uh, I know it was very female-based, uh, that show, and probably still is. It's great that, particularly older, actresses, we say older, over 30, <laughs> um, are now given some kind of uh, voice. And it's got better and better and better and better. It's still, we just need to encourage women to write mm. and be f able to get, to not be intimidated. Mm. It's, it's much more well balanced now, I think. Mm. I just don't, yeah. I just hope it keeps going. It's, it's the freedom and the bravery for, for young women, not just young, but women to write and feel that they have a voice. And that, that's got better and better. And taking it in a slightly different direction, talking about your charity work, you've always been very um, passionate about environmental causes. Mm -hmm. What do you think about the <coughs> Extinction Rebellion protests, um, which Emma Thompson famously participated in a few weeks ago? Absolutely. I think it's great. I just wish somebody would listen. Um, for instance, you, there are new homes being built all over the place. Uh, when you go off the West Way, when we come up the West Way, there are like hundred, one to two bedroom apartments being built, but there's not a solar panel in anywhere. So you're, you're thinking, what, how backward is this? So this has to happen from, builders have to be, this has got to be a norm. You can't just have these, we've got to survive. And they have the technology, but they, it's too expensive to do it. So something's got to give, there's got to be a, you know, what happened to solar powering the government started? Mm. That you got a, you know, that disappeared. Why? Money. <laughs> And do you think it's helpful for celebrities to get involved? Do you think that Emma Thompson being involved kind of raised the profile, or do you think that it actually distracted from what the Extinction Rebellion people were trying to talk about? I don't know. I don't know. I, I think that the thing is about being famous or a celebrity is that hopefully that people will listen more. But why that should be, I don't know. Who's dancing? <laughs> <laughs> you farted, was it? <laughs> 
um, so I just, I, I, you know, I think people use us uh, because it gives, uh, because then you'd be on television. It raises the profile. Of and you raise the profile and, it, you know, you think, oh, well, if he or she, um, there's a very good example now of George Clooney decided that he was going to stop because of the, the law that's come out that, that uh, you, uh, if you're gay or, or, or I can't remember what the, the whole stipulation is, if you go against, what's it called, the law? What's the law called that, that you could be executed? So, for instance, the, the hotel in London, the oh, Grosvenor Hotel, he said, do not, do not go to this hotel. It's ruined their business. It was the Sultan of Brunei. The Sultan yeah. of Brunei. So if that is powerful, then you use it. Mm. And that has had an amazing effect yeah. because it's about money. Yeah, he gave back his honorary degree to Oxford, actually, because they were thinking about taking it off him. So, yeah. Were they? Yeah. <laughs> Good. <laughs> <laughs> so you've played um, sort of a plethora of diverse characters during your time. Is there any one role that you haven't had a chance yet to play that you'd really like to take up, perhaps in a play, or do you feel that you've done, uh, you've done everything now? I never like to say I'd love to have or would like to because then you get disappointed when they don't ask you. <laughs> um, so no, the, I, don't, I don't set myself that kind of... I don't read enough plays. I don't, I don't watch television anymore uh, much. Uh, so I don't do Netflix and I don't do... So I miss a whole lot of plethora of fantastic work. Um, so I don't have that kind of feeling of panic. Mm. I'll tell you what, I would have loved to have played Juliet when I was the right age, but that's because of the, the language. And the language is so extraordinary. And it's such a universal story and blah, 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 blah. Mm. But that's the only thing, and that's gone. <laughs> and that's fine. That's fine. You know, I'm lucky to still be working. <laughs> And just to finish, before we move to audience questions, mm -hmm. what advice would you give to young people that are perhaps starting out wanting to get involved in the acting industry, whether that be writing or acting? What would you tell them, perhaps something that you wish someone had told you when you started out? Okay, the thing that I would say, just find something else that earns money. <laughs> <laughs> that, that you can get a roof over your head, you can go to Dorothy Perkins, oh, no, you can't get to Dorothy Perkins anymore, because that's all gonna go. Um, yes, yeah, Selfridges is going to be, I'm sure it's going to be a, an apartment building, you know, because uh, um, then, so I would just say find another thing, a passion, another thing that, that you can, is lucrative so that, so that you can have something to fall back on and that you don't hate yourself that you never achieved whatever you want to achieve. But it's perseverance and self-belief and also seeing everything looking at everything, art galleries, music, because it all, it all resonates in one's work and discuss and look and, and go to the theatre and go to the movies and watch, you know, whatever, because it's all part of your DNA and it all, you can steal something. <laughs> um, and the writing is all and, you know, it's really been, don't give up and also try and make money <laughs> just to support yourself. But you have to have, you know, I do, I've been, I, 
I think all actors have asked to do stuff. And you just look at the script and you think, this is crap. And, and it's, but then they'll uh, offer you lots of money and you say, say, this is still crap. And it's the principle of the thing and it's what you believe in that, you're, that your soul, your heart and soul can go behind that and commit yourself to that. Because it is about commitment and belief. And not doing it just because it seems glamorous, because I said to tell you, uh, it ain't. It's, it's, no, it's not. Do you ever look back on anything you did and regret that you'd done it at the time because you thought it was glamorous? Or? Not because it was glamorous. <laughs> I did it for the money. Um, yeah, because I had a tax bill. Uh, and so I did a job for the money. But actually, it turned out to be quite fun. Um, no, there's nothing that I've done that I can think of that I regret doing because you always learn from that. The only thing I would say is, you know, you trust one's instincts and I don't do that sometimes. That was all. Right. Should we move to some questions from the audience? If you have a question for Zoe, you can just raise your hand. Yeah. Can we go to the hand right at the back? Oh, right. Just stand up when the mic gets to you. So you said that your parents um, didn't want you to be an actress because you had to be made of steel. Because um, what? Because you had to be made of steel and it was yes. all about bouncing back from rejection mm -hmm. and they thought that um, you might not be able to take it. Mm. Um, what do you think made you sort of pull through in the hardest moments? Like how did you get through rejection? <sighs> okay, because I'd said that this is what I wanted to do and after, I went to art school for a year to try and paint. And then, uh, then I worked in a casting director's office and that nearly put me off. Um, I just, that they, they gave in. My parents gave in. Oh, and my mum gave me a nose job. <laughs> <laughs> because because I used to have a, a little bump in my, I had a ski jump in my nose. Mummy said to me, you can't be an actress with a nose like that. <laughs> you have to get it. <laughs> I mean, you can't tell now, can you? <laughs> but uh, yeah, so they finally accepted that that's what I wanted to do. I, I think that because I'd, I couldn't think of another way of, of going on. I didn't have another skill. And even then I wasn't sure. <laughs> But yeah, I don't know how. Thank you. <laughs> that answer you? Yeah. Cool. Anybody else? Yeah, can we go to the hand right at the back? There's a gentleman there with glasses. I'll go down there. Okay. Um, so yeah, you've obviously worked uh, <laughs> in theatre and TV and film um, with a lot of different directors. Um, yeah. Is there any particular director who stands out to you as being um, someone who you particularly enjoyed working with and what kind of attributes uh, do you think a good director should have? Uh, a lot of kind of Oxford students are involved directing plays mm -hmm. and it would be just interesting to hear what you, your yeah. take on that. Um, let me see. Television directors, mm, they're usually ex-cameramen and they don't actually know how to speak to an actor. Uh, so it's difficult. Uh, when I worked in the theatre, um, I met a director my first season at Stratford, um, 
when I went to Stratford rather than in London. And uh, 78, I met this, uh, I worked with this director called Howard Davis. And subsequently, I worked with him eight or nine or ten times. And I just had a connection with him, which was, um, which was wonderful and funny. Uh, television directors and film directors, I thought the guy who, who f directed the first Harry Potter, I liked him very much, and I've forgotten his name, but you can Google it. Um, and I liked him. He was fun and warm, and, uh, and I, I can't think of a, of a t uh, television director that I worked with that I really connected with, that, that made things bump out. I, it, it, his, their names, his or her names, don't stick. No, wait a minute. There was one woman director for the first Poirot that I did as Ariadne, which was called Cards on the Table. And it was directed by a woman. She was good, and I can't remember her name. And I don't know what happened to her, but she was, I really liked her. She was classy. Uh, it's, you have to drag it out of them, really. And... I wouldn't be a director as far as you could, I could spit because you have to be psychologically to know how to unlock. It's like being a teacher, I suppose. You have to, un you have to unlock the, the door that opens the imagination and everybody's got a different imagination. So you have to, as a director, you have to kind of uh, work just to, that it's about language of opening that particular door for an actor. because. Everybody's different. I mean, some people are wankers, and some people, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and some people just talk too much. Mm. Actors. I mean, uh, uh, so so you have to be able to unlock, unleash that in, in somebody, make them feel free and uh, and spontaneous. Uh, so I would say, being a director, you've just got to enjoy actors and their quirks and slap them about a bit and. And keep your sense of humour, because I think that's the main thing. It's 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 um, um, oh I've just worked with a, a director I hadn't worked with before, um, Ian Rickson, who I did the birthday party with just recently, and I'd never worked with him before, but I really he's another Howard Howard Davis sadly died uh, three years ago, and um, uh, but Ian Rickson I just thought w was delightful, a great. And Trevor and I, when I did Othello uh, with the RSC, I really enjoyed working with him. Uh, not before, before that, I did Once in a Lifetime with him, and he was a great joy. So, yeah, there are few and far between, but it, it's great when you get one. Because you do it for them, in a way. Yeah. Is there someone with glasses over here that wanted to ask questions? You. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Just wait for the mic to come to you. <laughs> Hello, so you, you spoke about environmental causes and solar panel roofs. Uh, are you aware of Elon Musk, the Tesla CEO? I'm not, I'm aware, but yeah. I don't follow. So yeah. he developed a few years ago um, roof panels that are, yeah, they're solar panels, but they actually look like roofs. No. Yeah, a few years ago, no one's talking about it. No. Yeah, and the idea is, do you ever say to somebody, that's a really nice roof? 
No, you don't. So exactly. There are a few different kinds and like patterns, so that's what he's developed. But so what's yeah. so what's happening? I don't know. He's very successful. <laughs> <laughs> well, are you going to do something about it? <laughs> well, I've already got my own business, so I've already got. You've got your own business, which is not that. No. Bagger. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. No, that's fascinating because when I spoke to somebody, I, uh, I said, uh, because we got a grade two listed building, but that's going to disappear. Um, uh, and so you can't have solar paneling. And then somebody said to me, oh, it looks so ugly. Well, yes, but. So do blizzards. So do blizzards. <laughs> Is that what you said? <laughs> I d you know, it just doesn't make any sense to me uh, why this is not. You know, we've got, this country is known for its science development and where is that all happening? You know, it's just, it, it just seems to be crazy. I don't understand it. And that's why I think in the way, the way that March was right, but, and there's that little 12 year old or whatever she is. Oh yeah, Greta Thunberg. Exactly. Mm. And nobody, you know, they all listen and sit there and they, but they do fuck all about it. Mm. And it starts with money. Yeah. And you know, anyway, no, it makes me cross because you just feel so impotent. Ah, uh, yeah, next question. <laughs> oh, uh, look, there's... Can we go to the, was there a hand over there? Yeah. Um, oh, hello. <laughs> he jumped up. Uh, you alluded to your Roman Catholic upbringing. Has any particular... Say that again? You alluded to your Roman Catholic upbringing. No, it was my nanny's. Ah, okay. Okay, carry um, on. Has any particular faith or spirituality had an influence or helped you in your career? No, <laughs> is the answer. Uh, I, you know, my parents were Jewish and uh, we, never <laughs> we never got taught any of that because they came from a, a generation that was, just didn't want, felt that religion caused wars and also that it was restrictive and, and archaic. So the only time, my father once took me to synagogue when I must have been about 10, and he smoked at that time. He, he put ash on my face and put his hat on me, and we went into the, because in synagogue, the, the women sit are divided. And we went to this synagogue in, I think it was off, I don't know where we were, South Kensington or something. We walked in, and he, we, I sat up with the men, <laughs> and, and the, the men were looking that. But that was the first time I'd ever been to synagogue. And they said, right, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> and, but then he decided that he was then going to tell us about the Jewish prison, and there was, and there was one Sunday when we had... <laughs> I think it was Passover, and we, so we had the, the matzahs, and the, 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 then we had to eat uh, horseradish and all that kind of thing. Then the phone rang. So Dad went to the phone, and we all disappeared. The three of us, the three girls, we all disappeared. And then the phone call finished, and he said, OK, go and he, back again. And he put a canter on the record. Somebody who sings, you know, in, in synagogue, they sing. Uh, um, he put the canter on the, on the, on the record. <laughs> then there was another phone call. <laughs> so then it was just a disaster. It was a disaster of learning, trying to be learning how, about the Jewish faith. So, um, and in fact, uh, when Dad was at Stratford, um, I used to go to a Saturday uh, 
Saturday morning church meeting <coughs> for ages. I loved it. I thought I wanted, I wanted to be a nun. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that would be, you know, because it was also romantic. But no, I, uh, I, no, I didn't want that. And, and, uh, but, it, it, you know, the great thing is about religion is, uh, I don't know, is, the, is uh, what I want to know is why it happened, why these rituals happen, and what does that t take us to? And where do we, uh, and each one is slightly different and each one is fan fantastical. It's like, well, there's the Hasidic Jews who wear the most ridiculous outfits. I mean, you just think, where the hell did you think that was attractive? <laughs> <laughs> These, you know, but that's my, my race. So, and spiritually, I, can, I duck in and out. So uh, I should, do more spiritual stuff, but I don't have the time. <laughs> yeah, but I, I do appreciate it in other people. I love it. Does that answer your question? Yes. Oh, good. There's a couple of, yeah, a hand yeah. there. These two guys, Tom and... Just the, the lady, yeah. Oh, I didn't see you there. No, in the corner. All oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, so um, you talked a bit about um, working with male directors. Is it much difference working in a project which is primarily female or male? Like, is there a general vibe that you can just tell about how people work and what is brought out of you as an actor? No, there is no difference. Uh, um, I'm not aware of that. Uh, no, I'm not aware that there are more women than men or men or women. I mean, I, I'm, I celebrate it. It's great to see a, a female boom operator because they've got to be, you know, they're like that all day. Um, it's, um, it's rare to get a female cameraman. It's very camera woman. Uh, but it's great when you get women on the set and that's fantastic, that's great. And, uh, yeah. It doesn't make a difference as long as people, because people, are, people who are in the business are committed to the business because it's hard work, particularly filming. Uh, it's a nightmare because they have to get them there. Uh, for instance, a second direct assistant director has to be on where the, where the Winnie Bay goes and all that. They have got to be there first. So that's five or six o'clock in the morning and then they don't finish until everybody's gone which could be nine or ten, then they've got to drive themselves home. And it's the same with the makeup artists. It, it's, it's, a, it's a slog. But, there's, but it's all, everybody, it's a, it's a team. And that's the most exciting thing. I, I, it's great when you meet more female uh, directors and, and guys on the floor. It's really good. What's the point of the question? What else were you going to say? Sorry, you said something. Oh, no, it's just sometimes people say that um, if there's, you know, in, as a woman it, mm. in the acting business, there's so few people that actually having other women there is quite a supportive thing. And especially if there's certain male directors who have exploited women in other ways. I oh, you're, you're talking lucky about that you haven't. Perhaps, or if you have, you haven't said about it. But sometimes no. You mean the Me Too situation? Is that what you're um, talking about? I mean, slightly, but in just mm. the general whole acting business. So it's 
still in the top positions anyway are generally quite male dominated so even just by having a woman there does it symbolically shift to say do you know what it's anyone and everyone's job so you know it usually is it's a very uh, eclectic and open society but what's interesting <laughs> is we go back to why women are paid less than men and that I don't think that's ever going to change but it's fucking disgraceful but then really <laughs> is ever going to change I don't think it will because there's some kind of weirdness about that means money again but if the legislation was only brought in in this country in 1970 you would hope that maybe in a hundred years in sort of you would hope that it just would get better and better and better you hope for that mm. but do you think having more women there makes it more likely to shift. I hope so. Yeah. But it's been a hard struggle for women to try and they've got to call it out and that is embarrassing. That is so embarrassing to call somebody out on that that you discover that you're being paid. I mean for instance with my family mm. I discovered that Robert Lindsay was getting twice as much as I was if not more. Uh, because we had we talked about it because in those days you could. Uh, but now... It happened with The Crown recently, didn't it? With Claire Foy. And yes, yeah. that sort of thing. It's just... It's, it's all over the papers when it happens. Uh, yes, that's right. And you just think, well, this is... I mean, hello, what... You know, it's 2001. Mm. It's too much... It's, it's got to change. And it will slowly, but it's still resistant. What do you think the solution is? Do you not think there is one? Or do you think it will just I think it's got to be a law. Another one. I think another one. <laughs> or something. I don't know how to change it. I just think that you that women's. That you should have to pronounce how much you how much you get paid. I that would well, be the way. I to think fix there's it. got to be a parity. That's all. Mm. Uh, nobody likes to say how much they earned or are earning because it's it's not polite. Yes, but and it's very difficult to change unless we do that because women will never know if they're getting paid less than men. That's true. So you need to have. A, yeah, because in some countries they do. You have to publish your pay. Oh yeah. yeah. I don't know, if, but I just think there's got to be a, it's just got to be within the, the industry that that's what happens. Yeah, it's a cultural shift rather than... It's a cultural shift. Mm. It's, it's got to happen. It's a no-brainer. Yeah. Mm, <laughs> I know, but then, as I said earlier, we're being ruled by a confederacy of dunces at the moment. I think that's worldwide. <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> and you just think, well, what? how long have we been screaming about this? Mm. And still... Anyway, <laughs> thank you. Can we go to the hand over that? Yeah. We'll come back to you, Yeah, Hello, um, thank you for the wonderful talk. Um, you mentioned something that um, you think is good for women um, to kind of write things and um, be actively involved in, the dis I mean, in this you know, film and series industry to express their opinions. And But you also mentioned just now that you think, you know, this shift in culture or just this general idea is kind of difficult to be, you know, to be actually put into action. So I wonder when you feel like you're put in kind of a disadvantage because of your gender, how do you think is the best way to deal with such a situation? You talk about it. Okay. That's how you deal with it. You talk about it. Uh, For instance, in Britannia, <laughs> Queen Antidia, Jez Butterworth, who wrote it, uh, for me, every other word was a swear word. Mm -hmm. And 
I just thought, you know, there's got to be more words of two syllables that, that will be a little bit more imaginative or funny that's collected. You know, I had to Google some <laughs> and suggest. So you have, a, you have to have a discussion with the writer and say, this is what's happening, this is what I don't feel, and they will have, so together you resolve it. But that's the only way it's going to happen, is that you just have a communicate. That's what earlier the question was about directors. You, on film and particularly uh, television, there is that you have to get, if, particularly if there's a man, you really have to <laughs> uh, confront that, con confront that situation. And if you don't, then you, then you don't take the job. Uh, I, I, yeah, you don't, it's all in the writing. And if the writing is good, then you can work on that. You can, if there's something wrong with it, then you can suggest that there should be a change in it. Or, I mean, I'm not very good at offering lines to somebody else. That's not my job. But I, c I know instinctively when something's not right. And then they have to deal with it. And sometimes, with my family, for instance, they couldn't fix it. They just were, yeah, I gave up in the end. That one woman writer, that poor woman writer, she did one really good episode and they never used her again. And that's, that's made me pissed off. Because it was good. <laughs> anyway. Do we go to the, yeah, in the glasses. Hi, thanks for coming today. Um, so my question kind of builds um, on what you were saying now. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really how much you know, do actresses and actors kind of contribute to the script in terms of interpretation and bringing your own ideas? Is it a very kind of rigid kind of script that's there that you need to kind of follow or can you, you know, change that a bit? Well, I think, uh, yes, you can change it. You can change it. Um, and uh, some actors are really good at being able to uh, make up lines um, and do their own thing. I can't do that, but I know when something doesn't feel right. So you discuss it. I mean, that's you, you, otherwise the, the the performer just gives up. I mean, it's like being a musician and you haven't got a good conductor because you so you just go uh, or nothing's. There's no. It's it's a the thing is about the arts is that it is collaborative. It's about. Um, joining up and forming ideas together and creating things together. That's why the theatre and, you know, that's why it's so much, it, it's, it has a purpose to it. And if you don't have that, then you're fla flabbing around in the, in, in the mud. So it's always open to discussion. That's why we like being in, in the business that we do, because it's a, we can all do it together. Just following on from that, the sort of picture you painted there was of a very collaborative mm. um, approach in, mm. the, in the industry generally. Mm. Do you think that realistically, if you've been there longer, you have a much better position from which to challenge maybe something that a director or a writer is putting in front of you? What do you mean longer, sorry? As in, do you think that now you're in a much better position because people know who you are and you've been in the business for a long time? To do that, do you think that it's harder when you're younger and you're just coming into the business? Do you think that people might feel intimidated by doing that? Or do you think that it's pretty much open to anyone that, that has something to say? Do you think being I, a more established actor helps? Oh, I don't know. I think if you're intelligent about it, mm. 
if you're a wanker, I mean, sorry, if, <laughs> if, you know, if, if you're just... Uh, you sworn in and sort of... It's not sworn in, but mm -hmm. if, if you just uh, behave like a... The thing is that 90% of the actors that I know are extremely bright and extremely intelligent. So if you have an import, input, then it will be taken because all of them are, are articulate and, and intelligent and in, incredibly adaptable human beings. It's only when you get somebody who has, who's not very, who doesn't get it. <laughs> that's, that's the polite way. Uh, uh, um, but, so you try to help them to a certain extent, but after a while you just say, this isn't going to happen because the brain isn't working properly. Uh, so, so it, it's, does that answer your question? Not really. You think it's about how you approach it rather than... I think it's about how you approach every w piece of work that you do as a performer and suss out. And if something really bothers you, then you, you talk about it. That's the only way, to, in, any, in life actually, that's the only way to do it. Instead you get... Press number three if you want this, so you can't have a discussion. Am I making myself clear? I think we've got time for a few final questions. Can we go this to the... This gentleman in the front. Yeah. Sorry, you, you've had a very long and distinguished... <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I'd be curious to know, what do you consider to be your finest moment? What are you particularly proud of, whether it's a role in the stage, TV, your charity work? What, what are you proud of? Oh, gosh. When you say proud, it's the things that I enjoyed the most. But then I enjoy, I try to enjoy every job I get, otherwise I wouldn't do it. Uh, um, Is there one role in particular in that? One role? Ish. There were, lo there were lots of them, I think. There were lots of roles that I really enjoyed doing. I mean, the last job I did, with the birthday party, I really loved Meg. I thought she was... Great, and uh, thought Harold Pinter's writing was poetic and extraordinary. Um, I suppose a lecture, which I did, uh, which is a fantastic adaptation, uh, uh, and then the gosh, it goes on. Uh, lots of them. I can't, I can't pick on one in particular because once you do that, you've set yourself a level, and you're not going to, you know, you, you've got to keep going. But no, I, I love them. I really love them all. Yeah, sorry. Next. <laughs> Is there a hand over here? Yeah. Hi. Hey. Um, Ashwin, have you ever considered directing yourself? No, I would never direct because of the very thing that I just said. You've got to be, uh, you've got to have the key to open somebody's imagination. Uh, and I don't have that, I'll just lose my temper. <laughs> um, so no, I, I would never do that. I could never tell anybody what, how to get there. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> I've got opinions, but not, not anything else. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, go to the hand over there. Hi, um, I know you said you don't watch Netflix, but yes. how do you feel about the overall shift towards streaming services and the contention that's um, come about over which films should be nominated and whether it should be in the cinemas first? or if it's okay for streaming, uh, oh stream yeah, films, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, 
I don't know enough about it, to be honest, to answer uh, with any coherence. I think it must piss the film industry off a lot. And film is film and uh, television is way, way different. But the quality, that's what's interesting, but the quality is extraordinary now. So it must be very difficult. It must be really difficult. It's me. It's me buzzing. Sorry. Um, uh, because the quality is so wonderful now. Uh, I, I would be... A film is something completely different. So I can understand why there is a, um, a tension about it. So, but I can't answer you with any opinion that's interesting. <laughs> I think we've got time for a final question. Oh, the two people. Oh, yeah, we, we can two probably take ones. two. Yeah. Yes, I wondered um, to what extent you feel optimistic about the future of theatre in this ah. country and to what extent pessimistic. Oh, crikey. <laughs> I just, you know, we passed the Oxford Playhouse and it's like going back to school because everything looks smaller. <laughs> um, and I just remember having a really good time being in a, in, a, in a city and, and playing to different audiences. and I, I don't know. I would love for the theatre to carry on. I would love it to be... But television has, t you know, these things, these, uh, these phone things. You can get anything. And I just feel that... But a rock concert, you see, people go to a rock concert or football, and they love it. So why can't we do that in the theatre? I don't know. I really don't know. I hope not. I hope it carries on, because I think it's an immersive thing, and it's a transforming thing, and it's a collective thing with an audience and a rapport with the audience and, and, the, and the, the performers, and a pr also directors and writing designers and costume, blah, blah, blah. It's all a fabulous show. Uh, or an interesting premise. It's all about conflict. and So I, I hope the theatre goes on. I'm sure it will, as long as there are actors who want to be in it. Uh, yeah. So it, optimistic overall. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. Right, could we go to the other hand on that row? We'll just stand up when the mic gets to you. Hello. Hi. Um, I was just, my question is, um, do you think the British actors coming out of school now are as well taught as they were, say, back in your day? And um, do you think that the time, your time on the stage or your time in school was more important to, um, was more formative to the type of actor you became? Like, say, your time in the Royal Shakespeare Company versus mm -hmm. your time in school? Mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, uh. The things about the uh, about drama school, it gives you. It's like a, a bit of an. It's a bit of a. It's like going to a university of some kind or a college of some. <laughs> it's an. It's where you learn the basics of the profession that you want to be in. For instance, movement, vocal work. Uh, but now everybody's got microphones, uh, which is I think. 
it is what it is. Uh, I think as far as training is concerned, to be an actor, in, as far as I'm concerned, means that you have to have every, everything at your fingertips, that you can do the theatre without microphones, that you can be heard at the, in the Olivier, on the Olivier stage without microphones, mm -hmm. and that's a difficult space. But then the Donmar in London, the Donmar space is 200, no, 350 audience. You still need vocal talent to work that theatre, even though it's as big as this room. Uh, so you have to be able to speak from the back of it. All that. I don't know if it's different. What the great thing, what they're doing now in some drama schools that I've heard about, they do auditions now. Because people audition on their phones now. Um, which I can't do. But, but they teach you that at drama school, which is, of course, that's perfect. They don't teach you public speaking. That's what I would like you to do. <laughs> that's what I hate doing. Uh, 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 but I think it's changed with the times, but I'm not sure um, that the times are fitting in with the question about the theatre generally. I think the theatre has to sharpen up itself and be invigorating to young people and get, it's getting young people in. It's all about education. The whole thing is about, you know, inspiring, to, yeah, inspiring people to, to think outside the box with their imagination rather than something, you know, no, no, no. Well, I think that's all we've got time for. So can everyone join me in thanking Zoe Wanamaker for coming to the Oxford <laughs>